welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Hello, I'm Sarah Braley, North Star's Managing Editor, and I'm here today with Jonathan Howe, the meetings industry's top legal mind, who so graciously shares his insights on event contracts. This podcast is taken from our August webinar, the latest in our series, Ask the Attorney, New Legal Issues for Event Planners and Suppliers, which can be found at northstarmeetingsgroup.com backslash webinars. Some of the topics we tackled for the program included, is there such a thing as a pandemic clause? How do you add flexibility to contracts? Can hotels be held to service level requirements? And what's happening with attrition? John, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Visit Long Beach. That retro, cool style of flying is back with Long Beach Airport's sleek resort-style atmosphere. Named one of the 10 most beautiful airports in the world by the BBC, it's a breeze getting in and out of LGB. Only six miles from downtown Long Beach's Ocean View restaurants, world-class attractions, arts and culture, and exciting waterfront activities, this gorgeous five-mile beach city is in the heart of SoCal, making it the ultimate destination for both meetings and play. Long Beach Airport is your perfect start to amazing experiences. Is there such a thing as a pandemic clause? Where should it be addressed in the contract? Well, I guess the answer to that is probably there is such a thing. The difficulty is trying to find out what it's going to look like. And I think if there is any consensus right now, there is no consensus. Uh, The approach that has so often been taken when we deal with something like what we've just been through in the last 18 or so months, has been to say, gee, is there something else in our contract that we can rely on to get us out of this predicament uh, to help us soften the blow of the pandemic on our revenues and, for that matter, the revenues of the people we're doing business with? But key element here is that COVID is one of those things that fell within the perimeters of many of what we would call force majeure clauses, which really are not force majeure clauses. If we remember what a force majeure really is, it's, it's something over which man, woman, or child has no control, which makes performance of the contract for either party totally impossible. Well, COVID didn't necessarily make it impossible, but we saw language that allowed us to expand what would be considered to allow you to escape performance without liability. So what I prefer to do is in my contracts is list those things which are going to release my client from liability if they do occur or do not occur. And that helps us then be very specific, but try to do it in a categorization that allows us to be able to move on. Let's face it, pandemic is a force majeure, at least it was relative to the COVID-19 situation. The difficulty was what else had to have happened? So we had the force majeure. But did it make performance impossible? Did it make performance illegal? And if those things were in your contract, you are probably going to be able to have a pretty good argument that you might be able to escape liability. This time around, with the concept of force majeure, 
It's something which is generally not foreseeable. And that's, again, why I go to listing those things which would allow you to get out of the contract without liability, because most of them are going to be foreseeable, or at least we've had some experience in that particular avenue or particular aspect of what we're trying to accomplish. But I would suggest at this point, there is no such thing as the holy grail here that's going to allow you to escape. What you need to do, and we've had this conversation before, is you've got to make some decisions as to when you have to make decisions. And what we then look at is taking that time frame and building that into our contracts, which give us the degree of flexibility that based upon events which are occurring at the time we have to make the decision will allow us to either extricate ourselves from the contract, renegotiate it, postpone it, or whatever. So if it takes, if 180 days before your meeting is to take place, that is your decision date. That's a go or no-go date. Let's build that into our contracts as to when we have to make those decisions. And then what happens if we see one of these incidents possibly occurring at the time of the meeting? This is very interesting because we already have a question that sort of plays into this really well. Somebody has written in and said that they have a sales meeting scheduled for next week that they have to cancel since the destination is back to stage five. Um, And the contract includes an impossibility clause, but the hotel won't honor it because they are hosting meetings of the same size right now or the week before and the week after. Well, last 18 months, we've been sharing a lot more risk than we have possibility of reward. And now we're trying to get back on the reward path. But then we read about the Delta variant, some other things that have come into play. But I think the real element here is you try to work it out at the earliest possible moment. Again, putting that flexibility into your contract, which allows you to have an intelligent discussion with the other side to see what both sides can do to make the pain and the risk Uh, at least a little more tolerable than it might otherwise be. Well, you've just touched on another of the topics that came up many times, which is that planners are seeing that current hotel contracts are quite rigid. And, but their desire is to add in flexibility because they want to be able to adjust the numbers or do whatever they need to do, move the, move the event, whatever that, that comes up, depending on, because everything is so volatile right now, everything is changing every day. So, you know, you just said flexibility and that has to be a two-way street, right? It does. It does. And I think part of the key element here too is if I'm a hotel right now um, and I've promised to deliver the goods, but I can't get the help to deliver the goods, am I going to now be liable to the other side for a lack of my ability to perform the contract? And maybe we need to see that. I've seen note after note with hotels saying, whoops, uh, our restaurant in the hotel will not be open. Our coffee shop will not be open. Uh, we'll give you some names of places you can go if they're still open. And and so we have this building of the concerns on both sides. And one of the things we're seeing planners now insisting in contracts with hotels, you shall have everything open. You shall will have 24-hour-a-day room service, maybe. You will provide turndown service upon request. You will clean that room and change the sheets and the towels daily. Um, and if you're not able to do that, then we're going to have a comeuppance with you as to your failure to perform as we have contracted with you. And the hotels now, I'll tell you, we've seen this. When I started traveling the first part of March, 
again and on the on the circuit. Uh, I'll never forget coming back to the hotel, which is basically a four-star hotel, going up to my room and the beds were not made. The towels were still on the floor. Nobody had come in. So I called the front desk. I said, hey, uh, somebody missed me for housekeeping today, to which the front desk says, well, sir, did you request it? I said, wait a second. This hotel brand, I have to request housekeeping? Well, yes, sir, you do. Well, you didn't tell me. I'm a little upset, greatly upset, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the kind of thing. It works both ways, Sally. So that flexibility factor, when you open up the eyes a little bit wider as to the concerns on both sides, you should be able to work out some kind of accommodation and reason. If not, then we have the opportunity of saying, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do business with you. So uh, you're saying that low staffing levels at the hotel can help that they're playing into the planner side. Um, but you need to have had some sort of minimal services clause in there to begin with. Well, I, I think that when we look at a hotel and let's say it's a four star hotel, uh, you can basically expect certain things are going to be there. But one of the things we put in contracts way back when is what we call a deterioration of quality or a performance on the property that they they're a four star hotel. When I sign the contract, they're going to be a four-star hotel at the time of performance or better. And, and, and that then carries with it. How do you define four-star? And sometimes we get down into the, into the woods on that and define exactly what we consider to be proper performance levels. Is there any flexibility at this point? I mean, talking about flexibility... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that people who are creating contracts now have started changing their wording since last year. You know, most of the stuff that's going on, um, we're not talking about uh, trade shows or things where their contracts are going to be years out. Um, we're talking about things that are usually taking place within a couple of months at this point, because nobody knows when they're going to, you know, they're taking the opportunity when they can to host an event. Um are there possibilities to uh, to rewrite parts of the contract as you go? And what what are the options? What needs to be in the contract to begin with to allow you to bring up all of these uh, issues again? We're seeing a lot of uh, creativity going into contracts. But as you know, my, my theory on why contracts have gone from written on the back of a cocktail napkin to now the 29 or 35 page document or contracts today are based upon bad experiences. And if you have a bad experience, you're going to do something in your contract to avoid having that experience occur to you again. We put in dates for review. We have dates for what are we doing with room block? You know, traditionally in the past, we've always sort of looked at room block as the having the ability to decrease the numbers. Now what we're seeing is that you take a minimum number of sleeping rooms, but maintain the ability to increase the number, uh, depending on what your performance and what your numbers are going to look like as you go forward. And if you're doing a hybrid meeting where you might have normally, let's say, 400 people who would show up, well, maybe this time around with the hybrid, you're going to have 500 people, but 300 of those people are going to be watching it on a virtual presentation as opposed to being there face-to-face. -face. And so the numbers, the dynamics uh, that we're using and the approaches that we're using and just design have changed tremendously 
as a result of the experience we've had in the last 18 months. People are going to be going back to their offices. They're not going to be going back to their offices. Their companies are going to say, yes, you can travel. No, you can't travel. Uh, as those numbers fluctuate and the numbers for the events fluctuate, what's happening with attrition? Well, and we're seeing hotels now that the old 80% opportunity for attrition has now become a 90% in many of the contracts that we've been seeing lately. Part of that, I think, is the standpoint of the planner now, reducing the number of rooms, as we mentioned just a moment ago. And so the hotel is saying, well, you're going to reduce the numbers. You know, if what as one comes down, I'm going to take the other up. So you, you sort of have this leveling, if you will, relative to what those numbers are. But I think numbers have to be realistic. Big problem now is when you have meetings that you were booking for years in advance, uh, you really can only make a guess. And as you get closer and closer to the event, you have a better idea. So what, what amount of leverage do you need in your contract relative to increase or decrease in the numbers? Same, not only as the sleeping rooms, but as to F&B requirements and needs and guarantees and, and what else is going on. And so what, we, what we've seen is that people are going back to the drawing boards, getting the pencil out, sharpening it pretty much to see what's going to be realistic. The problem is, as we're coming out of this, you know, a lot of the numbers that we were dealing with in 2020 were based upon the bumper year of 2019, which was in all books and all categories, an outstanding year. And so everybody was boosting the numbers up. Not anymore. Those numbers are down. As you mentioned, Sally, you have so many things. If you have, if you're an association or a business that you may see part of your attendance dependent upon what other employers do, you may want to have built in there an ability to reduce your numbers if there are travel bans, not just by government, by the employers of the industries or by the employers of the mega mega participants are going to be limited or for that matter, closed out. And we've seen that with a lot of situations lately in the medical field that medical personnel are not being allowed to travel because they need them there. And, and similarly with, with other industries where you are in that necessary area, that there's going to be a limitation on travel. And also we're finding that corporations in particular, instead of sending 30 or 40 people to a trade show, are sending maybe 10 or 15 because a lot of the people anticipate that the number of buyers are going to be down as well. So you have this trade-off of, of who's coming to the party and why. Doesn't this also play into something that we were starting to talk about a little bit in 2019, but but actually becomes more of a topic now, which is that of, you know, just because of the different ways that people can buy hotel rooms and things like that, that instead of saying, I have this size room block, people now are going to do smaller room blocks and and be willing to pay for meeting space instead. We're definitely seeing that in some organizations on the association side are basically saying, we don't have a room block, but here within the perimeter of where we're going to be are the hotels. You're on your own. And, and then they're cutting a deal with the convention center for the space the convention center basically there to draw people to come to the town, uh, you might get a little bit of a trade-off relative to your negotiations with the convention center, even though you're not picking up 
a hell of a lot of rooms by way of a block, but you are picking up a hell of a lot of rooms by virtue of holding the event in that city and you bring people into the town. Let's move on a little bit um, with the Delta variant and the rash of cancellations that we're seeing at this point. People, some people might be re-rebooking an event. You know, they've already rebooked it from last year. Now they're faced with a similar situation. They've got to do it again. What are the trials and tribulations of that? What are the... Oh, understanding on both sides, basically. I mean, remember when this whole thing started back in February of last year, everybody was optimistic come September or October of last year. We backed the meetings. Well, needless to say, you got the September or October of last year. You're now looking at 21. Well, let's say you were early 21. Uh, then you all of a sudden became looking at 22, 23, 24, 26. A lot of this was the realization on both sides that back to the workforce and the ability to perform, plus the needs for people to be there and get there and the limitations that might be there, the trade-offs. So what, again, back to this flexibility factor that you really need to think about, especially now that we're all wary of it, is how do I build that in my contract? And again, knowing your group. Now, I saw one little inquiry here on the chat by some per- person I happen to know who's got her meeting coming up here in, uh, in November, and her numbers are way off the wall of the chart. They're really up. And that I think we can anticipate being, but the hotel contracts that basically were being put in play as we got into this year, there was still some degree of flexibility as to the ability. If you had to cancel, you, you would basically agree to postpone or bring the meeting back. But when you're doing an annual year in and year out at the same property, that becomes a little bit of a different deal. Then you go back to the relationship and the understanding and what you were able to build into your contract as to what would be the uh, situation for what payments would be made, if any, and then what use that money could be made in the future, such as a deposit against future performance. One of our participants asks, says that their contract states that it may be terminated if, quote, recommended by government agency to not have meetings of a similar size. But the state we're meeting in is in general not following recommendations. Is there a nice way to get out of this? We, we've got people who are well-meaning. We have people who are looking at this from all different perspectives as to how you play. From my standpoint, what I would be looking at is I've got to look out. If I'm an organizer, I've got to make sure I'm doing everything I possibly can to protect the safety and health of the people who are coming to my program. And the means by which I'm going to do that is I am going to be looking at what some of the guidelines are coming from CDC, World Health, and the like as to what it would be. But the politics has sort of gotten in the way of this in sort of what those limitations are. Again, we're going to see a lot of lit- we're seeing a lot of litigation as to what extent these requirements that you may self-impose are going to be overridden by a state government or local government says that will not do that. Uh, I don't know, but I, I still think Part of the deal is if I'm a person who's a logical person and I see that that state's going to be wide open, do I really want to go? I may no longer have the desire to go to that destination because when I'm looking at the numbers, I see their numbers are up. And that, I think, in no small small part drives what a lot of people are doing. We've got clients with meetings next week and they're watching like a hawk the way their numbers are going 
and the number of people who may have bailed out because of the destination. And those people basically say, the reason I'm not going to come to your meeting is the numbers at that location are up and I don't want to subject myself to the potential. Or I have told my employees, thou shall not go because I don't want you to get sick and not be able to come to work. So you've got all of these factors, again, coming into play. It, it, it's not an easy, easy time for anybody uh, overall. And, and the difficulty is just trying to survive as we go forward in more ways than one. Thank you, John, for your expertise. And thank you all for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Long Beach. That retro, cool style of flying is back with Long Beach Airport's sleek, resort-style atmosphere. Named one of the 10 most beautiful airports in the world by the BBC, it's a breeze getting in and out of LGB. Only six miles from downtown Long Beach's Ocean View restaurants, world-class attractions, arts and culture, and exciting waterfront activities, this gorgeous five-mile beach city is in the heart of SoCal, making it the ultimate destination for both meetings and play. Long Beach Airport is your perfect start to amazing experiences. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.